Church, it's my privilege to be able to be here with you this morning. And, uh, you know, usually it's just teenagers. Today we got teenagers and adults, so it's a little intimidating, but we're going to rock and roll anyways. And so um, I'm only disappointed by one thing so far today, and it's that our wonderful worship leader, Cam, took my intro. I was going to say happy birthday to Clug, but apparently he's a popular guy, so yeah, whatever. It's his birthday. All right, let's move on. Let's bow our heads as we open up God's word. Thank you, Lord, today that, that we get to open up your word. Thank you for this book of life that we have here in our hands. And Lord, we thank you for your Holy Spirit who is moving, who is active, and Lord, who is with us this morning. I pray that as, we, that, that as I'm speaking, oh Lord, that you would be cultivating hearts and Lord, that you would move us uh, to respond to the truth of your word. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray, amen, amen. Well, I remember... When Taylor and I started dating at the ripe old age of 15 years old, don't recommend it, but it worked for us, we so desired for the other person to like us that we only told the things that we were proud of to the other person. And so some of the stuff that we weren't so proud of, you know, we just kind of left aside. So about a year or so later, nine months or so later, things that I thought were true all of a sudden came out, right? And, and Taylor tells me one small thing that is not the way that I thought, and all of a sudden I'm wondering, do I even know you? And before you think that Taylor's the only guilty one here, it's happened much more, many more times throughout our, our relationship and our marriage. But I remember this one specific moment, nine months in, right? We must have been 15 and nine months at that point. The things that I thought were true about her, at least one thing wasn't. And, and, and so I started to ask, do I even know you? And, and if you're hiding that, what else are you hiding? The, I believe the fundamental to d- desire of every human heart is to be fully known and yet fully loved. To be 99% known is to be completely unknown. And so if you're known, but it's because the skeletons in your closet are still locked inside. My question is, are you really known at all? And if you're loved because you've only shown the good parts of yourself, are you really loved? Or is it just the facade that you've created of yourself? And so if you find yourself ashamed and fearful because there's a 1% of you that you're not proud of, there's a 1% that you're too ashamed to really bring up and can't share, the question we're asking this morning is, where can you go to find love despite all of your mistakes? Where can we go that even when we are fully known, we can then experience true and full love despite everything being on the table? Today, I wanna show you that you and your insecurity and in your hiding and your secrets and your shame and your sins can be fully known by Jesus and yet fully loved. No matter what you've done, no matter what you're still doing, no matter what you'll do in the future, you can be loved. So if you have your Bibles, we are going to be in the book of Luke. We are gonna be in Luke chapter five, and I'd encourage you to meet me there, Luke chapter five. And while you're turning there, maybe this is your first time ever stepping into a church building such as this. We're reading from this book, it's called the Bible, and we're jumping all the way to the New Testament. Right At this time in the New Testament, we are about in 30 AD, right? Jesus is on the scene. And so 
All these pages that have come before it are all in the past, right? The Old Testament is all in the past. And at this moment in history, Israel is being dominated by the Roman Empire. And if you know your history at all, what are the Italians doing in Israel, right? What are, what are the Romans doing in Israel? Well, they are exercising their power, right? There, there's taxes, uh, they're, they're hurting people, they're oppressive. Um, they, are, they have taken over the country of Israel, right? If you've seen Red Dawn, right? For us, it wouldn't be Romans, but it might be the North Koreans or something like that, right? Running through our streets. That's what's happening in Israel. And so if you are a Jew at the time and the Romans are in your neighborhood, knocking down your doors, messing with your kids, messing with your wife, and you see in this Old Testament that supposedly there's going to be a Messiah coming for you, what might you hope the Messiah looks like? I think the Jews probably were hoping for a weapon-wielding warrior ramble type of Jesus who's gonna show up with a sword and take out the Romans, right? They're, they're reading that God is going to deliver them through the Messiah, and then here Jesus is, here's the Messiah, but he looks a whole lot different than they were expecting. Instead of a Rambo type, he's more of a Mother Teresa type. He's been with sick and sinful and disgusting and diseased disabled people. And so let's see why Jesus says that he came into the world and how it relates to our shame this morning. We're gonna read in Luke chapter five, we're gonna start in verse 27. They say this. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. We're gonna pause there. Today, church, I have three points that I wanna make. First is that Jesus came to transact transgressors. The second is that Jesus came to transfer transgressors. And the third is that Jesus came to transform transgressors. We're going to start with Jesus came to transact transgressors. We see here that Jesus goes after this person called Levi, who is a tax collector. We were just watching, we were just talking about this in Sunday school this morning, a tax collector, right? These guys uh, in our world, these are the processing fee thieves of the New Testament, if you will, right? Not too long ago, Taylor and I decided we wanted to go to a Pistons game. And so we decided, well, you know, as most married young couples do, let's find the cheapest seats that we can get, but still make it into the doors, right? It's better than watching on TV, but barely. And so we find tickets that are worth $24 each. And so I thought, you know, $48, that's not so bad. It used to be 20, but you know, $48, here we are. Pistons are getting better, I guess. But I'm on StubHub, so the tickets are $24. And then as I'm checking out, all of a sudden the service fee for each ticket is $6.66. I know some of you church people are thinking, 666, oh boy, you better stay away from StubHub. I think it's just the percentage, okay? Before we get crazy here. The service fee is $6.66. And then on top of that, the fulfillment fee, which is, I don't know, the computer doing the work of sending it to me, $2.98 per ticket. And so at the end, my $48 turned into $67.78. And church, I did the math, that's 39.7% tax. All right, StubHub is bad. 
But way worse than that, right? These, these tax collectors are doing the same thing except to their people, right? They're traitors. They're people who are Jews, but have sold themselves to the imperial Roman army who's occupying their streets and say, you know what? You know, things aren't good, but at least, at least, if you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours, right? And so the Romans have turned, the, the, the tax collectors have turned their back on their own people and are now paired up with these people. And they're, they're charging, they're making way more money than they should, and they got the Roman army behind them. Suffice it to say that if you were a tax collector, your neighborhood friends no longer like you, right? You have no friends. Uh, this, this is pretty bad. And now Jesus here on the scene is inviting this guy named Levi, the tax collector, to be one of his followers, right? If you are living in the Jewish neighborhood and these Romans are kicking in your doors, taxing you way too much, and there's nothing you can do about it, and you're expecting a Messiah, this must be the most anti-Messiah-ish thing that Jesus could have done, is invite a betrayer, a, 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 tr- a tax collector, to be one of his disciples, Jesus came to transact transgressors. Just yesterday, I believe that I got a very clear vision of what our sin, what my sin looks like to God. And it was at the expense of somebody else, but I'm gonna use the story anyways. Just yesterday, I'm sitting at 15 and Mound and I'm waiting to cross over Mound. And so I've waited there a light or two and I'm, 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 I'm anxious to go, but what am I gonna do? I'm stuck at the light. Right, and so our, our light turns green and I'm creeping up, creeping up, creeping up and boom, it's red and there's just a few cars left. And I'm like, oh man, I just wanted to get through that light. And so I could see the people around me were getting antsy as well. And so as we sit there for, I don't know, minute and a half, 20 minutes, whatever that light is, it feels like 20 minutes at times. Ever since construction, it's like the, the lights are longer but less cars get through. I don't understand that, but anyways. As we're waiting, all of a sudden our light turns green and I look across the road and I see that a fire truck is coming again. I'm like, oh man, now we have to wait for the fire truck, right? Another light, I gotta sit here, all right? And so I'm waiting, waiting, waiting. The fire truck just makes it through and we get like one car through. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I gotta wait for another time. Just next to me in the lane over, there was a guy who was on a motorcycle. And I'm not talking a Harley Davidson. I'm talking the fast ones, the super duper fast ones, right? He's decked out in all types of gear. And he decided, I'm not waiting for this light, all right? And so as the light turns yellow, he pulls over into the turning lane, guns it as fast as he can. I hope you're not here today. If you are, God bless you, sir. Bless your heart, I might say. I heard that means something different in the South than what it sounds like. Right, this guy goes through the turning lane, he guns it as fast as he can and and everybody just goes, oh gosh, this can't be good. And so he's flying, he must be going 70 miles an hour down the turning lane and the turning lane is gone, now he's trying to merge, he's next to a car and he tries to cut it off and all of a sudden, I kid you not, I see him go flying up the curb, I see his body and his bike launch higher than the SUV that was in front of him. And I'm sitting back there like, well, that was the stupidest thing I've ever seen in my entire life. Like, what did you think was gonna happen, right? And so I see the guy, you know, he, 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 he's crashed. I see his bike all over the ground and I see him, he was able to jump up and get over on the grass and just lay down, right? And at, the, at that moment, I'm thinking, what did you think was gonna happen, dude? You're flying through a turning lane 70 miles an hour. Like, I, you know what? I don't even feel bad. Like, I hope your leg hurts, all right? You deserve that for what you did. And at that moment, I'm seeing other people go rescue him. And I'm like, forget that guy. Like, I got places to go. I've waited here long enough. And now he's going to make me wait here even longer because now there's more traffic. 
But it's at that moment, I'm listening to a message about sin and repentance. And, and I just, truly, I was like, oh, that's what my sin looks like to God, right? I, I'm over in the turning lane going 70 miles an hour, boom, I wreck myself. And again and again and again, God comes by on the sidewalk, on the grass and goes, dude, like, what was that? But he picks me up again and again and again, right? And I'm scoffing at the guy like, what an idiot. He gets what he deserves. But that's what our sin looks like to God, right? And that's the people that Jesus came for. Jesus came for the people who wanna drive 70 miles an hour and launch themselves off the curb, right? That's the people that Jesus came for. That's what he came for with Levi. That's what he came for us, right? That's what a sinner looks like to God. Jesus came to make a transaction for sinners. He buys the one that no one else wants or no one else can use, right? That guy was a fool, right? But that's the type of people that God has come for. And so if you think you're not one of those people, if you're like, man, that guy's an idiot. Like if, if you think he's an idiot, like I did, right? Let's pause and recognize that's all of us. But if you think you're not one of those people, then maybe you'll identify with the next group of people that Jesus rebukes, all right? Jesus came to transact sinners, buy them back. Secondly, he came to transfer, transfer transgressors. We'll start in verse 30. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Church, Jesus came to transfer transgressors from sinners to saints. Right here, we see that Levi throws a party. Jesus says, hey, Levi, follow me. And by the way, I'll be there at five o'clock. We're having a party. And so Levi gets a little bit of time. He starts calling his friends. And you know, as I'm thinking like, who's the friend of a tax collector? Who's he gonna invite? Other tax collectors, right? So not only is one tax collector having a party, all the other tax collectors from the city are joining because nobody else cares to be with them. And here we see at the scene that Jesus is at the home of a tax collector, right? And, and in the time, right, they don't have windows, they don't have glass, they don't have shades, blackout shades so nobody can see in, right? And the Pharisees are watching outside, watching Jesus the rabbi have a party with tax collectors, people who have been ripping them off for as long as they have been in their career. Right, and, and something I find fascinating in this passage is that Jesus, in, in, in this, we see his posture. He's not worried. He's not, he's not like he's at a restaurant wondering, you know, he orders a glass of alcohol at a restaurant. He's wondering if anybody else from church is gonna be there and he's gonna get busted, right? It's not like that. Jesus is relaxed. He's reclined. He's enjoying his time. And he knows he's exactly where he is supposed to be. With sinners. With motorcycle speed racers. And so the Pharisees are watching and they're very upset. But what they don't get and what Jesus tells them is that I did not come as a dictator to enforce the rules. I came as a doctor for those who are sick. I'm not a dictator, I'm a doctor, right? And they think that according to the law, they think this is true for Jesus, that if Jesus interacts with dirty people, well, then he becomes dirty. But what, Jesus, what, what they don't realize is that when Jesus interacts with people, Jesus doesn't get what they got. Right, Jesus cleans them up. 
It's like when you take a Clorox wipe and you wipe off germs off the table, right? The, 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 the germs don't make the Clorox wipe dirty. No, the germs get Clorox, right? They get cleaned up. This is an antiseptic to germs. And here we see that Jesus doesn't get dirty. Jesus Cloroxes those who are dirty, right? And that's what happens. And so the Pharisees are like confused with what's going on, but that's what Jesus does. He doesn't get dirty. He creates, he, he cleans them. So what does he say he came for? He says he came for the religious. He came for those who are already put together and, and, and want a big church building so they can work. No, he came to call sinners to repentance. One of the definitions that I love for repentance is an inward change of heart that leads to an outward change of life. Right, it's a, it's a 180. I, I crack up when I hear people say, you just wanna do a 360, but... That means you're going the same direction, right? That means you don't want to do a 360. In fact, I think a lot of times we get, we're guilty of doing that, right? A, a, a repentance is you are going one way and all of a sudden you're going the complete opposite way. An inward change that leads to an outward change of life. And so that's what Jesus came for, right? He didn't come to overthrow the Romans, though they could have used it. He didn't come to create a religion or a religion. He came to love people who needed help, people like you and people like me, people with a past and even people with a present. Don't let church people fool you into thinking that sins don't happen after salvation, right? Sins still happen after salvation. Yes, we're making that 180, but we're, it's not an immediate switch. Man, I've been great. I, I gave my life to the Lord 45 years ago. I've never made a sin since, right? Come on. So Jesus makes a transaction for sinners like I saw, like we saw with Levi. But guess what? He's also looking to transfer them from sinner to saint through the process of repentance, right? I believe this is the point of my message where it goes from a praise God to a... Oh. Jesus doesn't buy us to store us on the shelf like an old antique. Jesus is in the refurbishing business. Right, Jesus was on Facebook Marketplace and he buys an old dresser that nobody could ever use. He fixes it up, he repaints it so that it can be used, right? We're not antiques to be stored on shelves. We are to be used once again, though we're broken, maybe we're put together, maybe we got a whole bunch of glue on us, right? Maybe we got a bunch of, we got a caulk bead that's way wider than it should be because we didn't have a last piece of tile that we needed. I was just tiling this week. Maybe we're, maybe we're a bit broken, a bit ugly put together, that's what he came for, right? To, to transfer us, not to leave us the way that we were, but to transfer us through this repentance. And how many know that repentance is difficult? Anyone? Be honest with that. Repentance is difficult. Though we want what is right, the flesh in us still desires the evil that we used to like at times, right? Maybe, maybe we come to the Lord and for a year or two, is, that might be generous, right? It's like, man, I, I, I never would wanna do anything except honor you, Jesus. Awesome, this is great. And then a couple years down the road, right, as our eyes shift a degree at a time, all of a sudden we find ourselves thinking like, man, I'm back kind of where I started at times. I love this quote that's way too honest. We don't hear this type of stuff anymore. This is from St. Augustine, St. Augustine, however you want to say it, from back in the 400s. He says this, Lord, make me pure, but not yet. <laughs> make me pure, but not yet. What he's saying is, God, I want to do things your way, but wait one second, because this sin feels way too good to pass up, right? It's like, uh, when, it's like after a long weekend, 
of eating way too much. You said, yeah, I'm gonna start eating healthy tomorrow. Not today. Right, we gotta see here, church, that Jesus did not go to a party with tax collectors to have a wild night out on the town. He came in order to love them and then lead them to repentance, right? A transfer from sinner to saint to a repentant follower of Jesus, right? We see Jesus came to transact, to buy back sinners. He came to transfer them to repentance. And lastly, there's one more very important part of the process. Jesus came to transform. Jesus came to transform. We're gonna read from 1 Corinthians chapter six. Paul is writing to the church in Corinth and he says this. Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. Jesus came to transform transgressors. Church, the very people that Jesus says that he came to save are the people who apparently can't inherit the kingdom of God. What? How is Paul gonna say they can't inherit the kingdom of God, but Jesus is saying, that's exactly who I came for. Didn't Jesus say he came for sinners and didn't he hang out with prostitutes and tax collectors and adulterers and lepers? Yes, but Jesus came to transform transgressors. Remember, it's not an antique on a shelf. It's in the refurbishing business. Paul says that when, when you were saved, a holy declaration took place in heaven. You were washed, you were cleaned up. That sin that you have committed, completely washed clean. Right, I'm, ta- I'm not talking about a little shower head, you know, that dribbles out. You know, some of you tall guys, you know, when you got to kind of duck underneath and it's barely coming out and it takes you 25 minutes to wash your hair. Right, no, this is like a rainfall shower. This is blasting it. This is completely washed clean, right? This is like a waterfall. And then you were sanctified. You were set apart. You were made holy. And then lastly, maybe one of the things we don't talk about enough in church, you were justified. What does that mean, justified? It means that you were declared righteous before God. You were declared righteous, not because of what you did, but because of what Jesus did. So if Jesus died and was buried and resurrected, then guess what happens to you? You, were, you died, you were buried, and you will be resurrected, and you are resurrected, and you still will be resurrected, right? You're declared righteous before God, not because of what you've done, but because of what Jesus has done. And this is what Paul says to the church. This already happened. This is all past tense. You were washed. You were made holy. You were declared righteous. That's all in the past. And so are we, church. We are sinners who have been cleaned. We've been made holy. We've been declared righteous before God at the time of our salvation, past tense. And so now what, right? Church, I, I used to work at a valet, as a valet in Chicago, and I feel like this is where 50% of my stories are. The other 50% are animals. Um, and my, uh, my leaders in the youth group have taken notice. So they got me a zoo membership because I talk about animals that much. So I appreciate it. Um, 
But I used to work at, at a members club in Chicago. And so the only, re, the only way that you could be part of the members club that I was working at was you had to be an artist. And I don't say artist like this because I'm making fun of artists. It was just very broad. Um, somehow, you know, like the, the Chicago Bulls are showing up. I don't know what type of art basketball is. I guess it's an art, you know. Uh, football players are showing up. Definitely singers are showing up. Um, maybe painters were showing up, but you definitely know I didn't recognize them as they're walking in because I couldn't tell you one painter except from like uh, Michelangelo and uh, Da Vinci. I'm pretty sure he was a painter. Anyways, that's beside the point, right? To be, a, to be a member at the Soho house where I was working, you had to create something for yourself. You had to be able to be a member that was worth en- letting enter into the Soho house because w- when, when these people showed up, they wanted to feel like they were part of, a, of an elite group. And so somebody like me who doesn't know what art is and has zero talent in any way, in any form, okay? Uh, I'm not welcome in that, in that place. And so there were six floors and the top four floors were for members. If you're an artist, you can go. And for those of us who are not artistic or famous or uh, worth having as a part of a member, right? We were stuck on the bottom floors. And so I remember my wife was there hanging out on the bottom floors with me, right? We were, we were chilling, eating our chicken and waffles, definitely not on the members floors, Guys, Christianity, I think, is the opposite of this type of a club, right? In this club, you have to become someone before you're worth letting in. Christianity does the exact opposite, right? It takes the people who are tax collectors sitting at booths, the people who are racing their motorcycles and deserve what happened to them. It takes those people, and Jesus says, you're welcome here. Let me transform you into who you need to be. Don't, I'm not gonna make you do it ahead of time. In fact, how could you? Church, how could we? How can we make ourselves holy when, when, we're, when we're dead in sin? Right, and so that's what happens. He says, come as you are. You might stink. You don't even wear deodorant, right? You're missing a few teeth, right? You're, you're patched up, you're broken. And Jesus says, that's exactly who I want as a part of my kingdom, right? Who's grateful for that this morning, right? I know I am, I know I am, right? As we close, Pastor Barry last week weird for me to say Pastor Barry, but you know, what am I going to say? My dad, that's, that's uncomfortable too. So Pastor Barry last week mentioned metamorphosis and he talked about it quickly and kind of in passing. And so I started thinking like, what is metamorphosis, right? And it took me back to the second or third grade, right? This is the transformation of insects from babies to, to adults, metamorphosis, right? And so if you remember your, your third grade science project, right? It starts out as an egg and then it becomes a larva, and then it becomes a, it's a P-U-P-A. I had to look up even how to say that. Not pupa, pupa, all right, pupa. And then it becomes an adult, right? And for those of us who are not scientific and don't remember third grade anymore, egg, caterpillar, cocoon, butterfly. That's the life cycle. That's the metamorphosis of a butterfly. And now in insect world, there are two types of metamorphosis. There's incomplete and there's complete. Incomplete metamorphosis looks like this. Maybe we'll have it up on the screen. Metamorphosis means that the insect body remains similar in, in, in shape and in color and only grows larger compared to the moment when the egg hatches. So think like a grasshopper, right? What, is, what does a young grasshopper look like? It looks like a grasshopper, right? It's got legs and it jumps and it's brown or green, right? What does an adult grasshopper look like? It's got legs and it jumps and it's brown or green. It's just a little bigger. Right? That's what incomplete metamorphosis is, just kind of a growth, right? Whereas a complete morph- metamorphosis 
it, it is, is different where it goes from one form and then it looks completely different, right? The, the babies look completely different. A caterpillar and a butterfly, if you didn't go to science class, you'd never know are the same animal and they start out from the same uh, DNA, all right? So, com- so, so to summarize, complete metamorphosis is the adults are unrecognizable from their baby states, completely different. Whereas incomplete, the adults just look like bigger babies. So I wanna ask you today, as we're talking about metamorphosis and transformation, maybe you see where I'm going with this. What do you look like today? Are you an older, bigger version of the baby you? Or is your new self unrecognizable because of how far that you've come, because of what the Lord has done in your life? 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone and the new is here. Jesus came after sinners looking for complete metamorphosis, right? A complete transformation. Jesus is not trying to raise caterpillars to just become bigger caterpillars, right? He's come to make a walking caterpillar a flying butterfly. So I'm talking about butterflies, you know, all the men in the room for sure are going like, wow, that's so sweet, that's so great. Butterflies, nice, right? But here's the catch. I thought this is so interesting. One type of butterfly's life cycle reminds me of the Christian life. In this stage, this being, if you will, is in the egg for one week. So at the end of a week, it hatches. Then for a month, it becomes a caterpillar. So now this, this being has lived for five weeks and starts to wrap itself up in the cocoon. And the cocoon stage for this certain type of butterfly takes up to two years, two years, right? So now, now this, this, this caterpillar is two weeks, one month and one week old. And finally, finally, everything is ready to go, is ready to fly. And you know how long this butterfly lives? Three weeks, three weeks. You're telling me this butterfly lives two, about two years and two months and it gets to fly for three whole weeks before it dies. Church, in, in this process, the, the, the cocoon stage, nothing is happening on the outside that you would ever know. But on the inside, something rapid is transforming. And so every time that you see a butterfly flying around and you see the beauty of it, let it remind you of how far that it's come, right? It started out as a little caterpillar, a little egg. It looked like a hairy worm for a little while and then it was stuck in a green cotton ball for two years, okay? And only now it looks beautiful. Church, the Christian life is the same, right? It ain't pretty, but over time we become what he desires. I think a lot of us, when we come to Christ, immediately we wanna fly. (laughs) This is so cheesy, if you will, but it just is, right? We wanna fly, we wanna be a beautiful butterfly, but it takes years, right? What if it takes like 95% of this caterpillar's life to finally become what he wants to be. Sometimes in this process, the ugliness shows up. Sometimes uh, people are looking in, they're like, I don't know if anything's happening inside. But I'm clinging to that scripture that says, trust that he who began the good work in you will carry it on to completion, right? Church, Jesus came to transact, transfer, and finally transform transgressors. And I believe that too many of us at times are still driving 70 miles an hour down the the turning lane, and we're still looking like caterpillars, right? We're bigger, heavier, a few more pounds, 
baby caterpillars. We haven't necessarily grown into something new. And I think, I think the thing that limits us, right, is not our inability to create a cocoon. Okay, we're not butterflies. I think it's we're, we're fearful to be honest with ourselves and with God. And so I wanna ask, what would it look like if you were honest with yourself and with God and you surrendered that last 1%, right? You're, maybe you're 99% known and in that way, you're loved. But there's that, that thing that's in the back of our heads all the time that's wondering like, man, if I ever shared that part of me, nobody could ever love me. And church, we'll never be fully human. We'll never be fully who God wants us to be if that 1% is in the back of our mind, untouched and, and, and unspoken. And maybe one of the difficulties for us is that when we gather in a beautiful building like this and we wear our nice clothes, right, as we're looking around and everyone has uh, nice makeup, nice earrings, nice whatever, we look around and think like, man, everybody else has it together except for me. Everyone else looks so polished, so clean, so well-kept, but man, if they only knew what I was going through. When in reality, we're all broken sinners saved by the same source of grace. We're all motorcycle speed racers trying to fast track our life into what we want. And church, you know what? This is one of my favorite passages that we talked about, Luke chapter five. You wanna know why? The beautiful thing about this story of Levi is who is Levi? Right? Levi is also known as Matthew. Matthew is the very first book of the New Testament. That means that Jesus on that day, he showed up and he called Levi the tax collector. And next thing you know, if you ever tell your neighbor, hey, you should read the Bible. Hey, where should I start? I don't know, start in the New Testament. The first thing they're ever gonna open up is to Matthew the tax collector's account of Jesus, right? Matthew the Jewish betrayer who's writing to the Jews about what Jesus has done in his life, <laughs> right? If Jesus can use Levi who became Matthew, who is a tax collector, what can he do with us? Right? There's no amount of shame. There's no amount of past sins. There's no amount of present brokenness that eliminates us from the purposes of God. If I open up my Bible and I see Matthew is the first writer of our New Testament. So I wanna encourage you today to bring, the, bring to the Lord today what is broken and what is breaking today. And so I wanna create a space here today where we can be honest with the Lord. And if there's a 1%, Maybe it's a 10%, maybe it's a 50% that we're withholding from him or, or from the people in our life because we're, we're scared to be fully known and we wonder if we could ever be loved that people actually knew the real us. I wanna create a space where you can come and be prayed for. So what are we gonna do? If that's you, if that's where you find yourself, what are we gonna do? James 5, 16 says, confess your sins one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Church, we're not gonna sign you up for an AA meeting, an NA meeting, some small group. We're gonna pray. We're gonna pray that you may be healed. And so at this time, I wanna invite elders, if you would, elders who are willing to pray, would you please come and be available for those who need prayer? I know for me, I'm not walking down until I see an elder available, okay? Maybe that's how you guys are too. I'm not walking down until you see an elder that I can go and pray for. So if elders, if you can come and you'd be willing to pray, I wanna invite uh, us today, um, to bring your shame, your secrets, your brokenness, your breaking to the Lord who came as a doctor to heal. And, and I wanna tell you, for those of us who are not gonna get up here, right, if you're sitting way in the back and, and, you're, and hopefully you don't have, I want you to take off, we'll take off our judgmental glasses, 
right? And as someone walks down the aisle, I hope we're not thinking, man, what's wrong with that person, right? They teach Sunday school. How in the world are they gonna go up? They got sin, they got brokenness in their life, right? For one, let's lay the judgment aside and let's come to the place where we can be healed. You know what I find interesting? If one person comes, all of us are gonna look at that one person and be like, man, that person's jacked up. We better lay hands on that person, right? But if we all begin to come, it's gonna turn from a what's wrong with that person to a a fountain of living water where we can be healed. That's what's gonna happen. And so I'd encourage you, if you have something in your life, whether it's a sin thing that you're embarrassed about, whether it's something that's out of your control and this is a brokenness that you need to bring to Jesus, come and be prayed for. Confess your sins to one another that you may be healed. And come quickly, know that God will love you. He'll, he'll, he'll know you fully and he'll still love you and he'll heal you of your past, your present, and even your future today. And so our, our elders are not people who are gonna take these secrets and they're gonna spread them out online. They're gonna pray for you and we're gonna believe that God is going to heal you at this time. And so if that's you, why don't you come up front and be prayed for and be bold, right? Don't sit in your shame. Don't sit in your brokenness and wonder, can I be loved? Instead, make it a point to come quickly and come be prayed for and let's pray that God will heal what's broken inside of us today. Church, if you're still in your seats, just take this time just to keep on reflecting and if, and if you find yourself not in this situation where you don't feel like you don't have something to hide, you've already been exposed or you've given that up, then thank the Lord. Thank the Lord for what he's done in your life. Thank you that he's picked you up off that grass and didn't say, what an idiot. He picks you up over and over and over again. And so we're gonna wait. We're gonna wait as as part of our church is still praying before we enter into the Lord's Supper. So just take time for yourself just to reflect on that. Church, the reason that we can pray today 
is because Christ gave his life on our behalf. Right, when he died on the cross, he was taking the punishment that we deserved and absorbed God's wrath on himself that we deserve. Now, only if we believe in him, if we, we, we can have eternal life with him. That's it. And so for the believers in the room, we're gonna celebrate the Lord's Supper. And with the memorial meal, we remember what Jesus did for us. And so we're gonna read from 1 Corinthians. Paul says, for I received from the Lord what I passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Everyone ought, ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. And that's what we're gonna do just briefly. Let's just take some time just to examine our own hearts as we come before him today, before we enter into this Lord's Supper. take the bread as we, as we pray over the bread. Thank you, O Lord, for this bread that represents your body. Lord, you gave your body on the cross, Lord, so that we don't have to receive the punishment for our own sins. Thank you that you gave yourself on our behalf, Lord. You substituted yourself for us. Lord, as we are flying through the air after a motorcycle crash, Lord, before we even landed, Lord, you took the pain, the consequence, and the, and, the, and the hurt that we caused. Lord, you died for it on the cross. Thank you, Lord, for what you did. And Lord, I pray that as we receive your body, you would bless it today in Jesus' name, amen. Let us take of the bread. And let's pray over the cup. Lord, thank you that because your blood was spilled out, because you were broken, because you were beat, because you gave your life, Lord, we can have life. Thank you this, for this blood that washes us clean. Lord, power washes, Lord, like a, like a fire hydrant, washes us clean. Lord God, that, that our sins are not, are not hidden in our past, but Lord, can be washed clean. Get the cobwebs out. And thank you, Lord, that we and you can be fully known and fully loved. Hallelujah. Thank you for this blood that you gave on our, on our behalf. Lord, would you bless us now as we receive this cup. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, would you, would you stand, would you stand as, we, as we close our service out today? Let's just thank God for what he's done in our life. Let's thank God for what he's going to continue to do in our life as we go today. So Father, thank you for your church. Thank you for, uh, Lord, from the very least to the greatest, from the youngest to the oldest, from the most broken to the most put together. Lord, you are the reason that we are all here. Lord, we haven't done anything ourselves that have got us this far. Lord, you have picked us up time after time and put us back together. And we thank you, Lord, that you haven't given up on us yet. 
And Lord, you're not gonna give, us up on, give up on us in the future. Lord, I pray for those who, who, who came to these altars and Lord, who prayed for God, that you would heal them the way that you, would, that you say so. Lord, by their obedience to confess their sins, that they would find healing. And for those in their seats who confess it to you, God, help them in those times of brokenness and in in, in those issues in their life. And Lord, as we go today, God, would you bless your people? Would you watch over your people? And thank you, Lord, for all the work that you have done today and are gonna continue to do in the future. Bless us now as we go. We love you, O Lord. It's in the name of Jesus we pray, amen, amen. God bless you as you go today.